We have a new champion of Major League Soccer, and of course that means that Hot Tim Winter is officially in full swing. Welcome everybody to Club and Country, the podcast of record for Nashville SC coverage from two people who've covered the club longer than anyone in their respective disciplines. I'm Nashville SC radio commentator Wes Bowling. And I'm the eponymous Tim of Hot Tim Winter. I am the proprietor of ClubCountryUSA.com. Thanks to John Champion for the match-winning call NYCFC with the win in Portland to take home its first-ever title. Thanks to Moon Taxi for the music. Tim, before we get into hashtag Hot Tim Winter, we will talk about that new MLS Cup champion. And then a number of boys in gold, no longer in gold, and Nashville has a couple new strikers and a replenished war chest as one season ends. As is the case in MLS, the offseason takes off in earnest. Yeah, folks, it is indeed hashtag Hot Tim Winter, and I've, I've doomed myself by turning an off-the-cuff riff in a, a previous episode into my brand, <laughs> but here we are. <laughs> it is roster mechanism season and, and roster building season, and that's really my time to shine. It was always your brand, my friend. You just formalized it, <laughs> and now it has a hashtag enough, that whether we like it or not is, is here to stay, and when others start using it your direction, you know. You're not escaping it, and they are, and you will not. Uh, So in today's early shout, we're going to get MLS Cup out of the way. We'll briefly talk about NYCFC and Portland, then dive into what you guys probably care about more, which is Nashville's busy half-day trade window. It's not just hot Tim winter. It is the winter of Mike Jacobs, as he does what he does best, which is namely to trade a lot of assets Nashville's not going to use, get a lot of cash, and then do things with that cash. At least half of that equation is done. We'll tell you three things you probably didn't know about the newest strikers in gold, and we will wave farewell to some departing players for Nashville SC. As Tim, it's a time of transition, not necessarily at the top of the roster in most cases, but Nashville starting to churn beneath that and, and trade in some of those depth pieces for guys who could really contribute to this team. Yeah, and I think that's the sign of a healthy club. You want to keep a lot of your key players, but the guys that aren't contributing or the guys that you can upgrade on, even if they are contributing, um, should be encouraged to go find better options, not just because you don't want to have them as your only option, but it's better for those players as well to go find a place that they they can be a little bit happier. Among those better options for Nashville SC, could there or should there be a third designated player added? Yonder Cadiz is out now. His option was declined. Should Nashville fill its empty DP slot now, or should it wait to evaluate needs into next season? That will be our topic in Embrace Consensus. And then you guys were full of great off-season questions for the mailbag. You're tracking exactly with where we wanted to go with this episode anyway, but you took it in some to the next level in some cases. What's next for Mike Jacobs and company? And then the question I liked the most is Nashville traded four international slots for $1 million in GAM, or general allocation money. You can use that a number of ways. One way is to trade for players. Who would we acquire? with $1 million in GAM. And also, what is GAM? We'll get into that just a little bit, just to define it, because we know a lot of you folks are just finishing up maybe your first MLS season or trying to get into it. Maybe you caught caught fire like Nashville SC did toward the end of the year, and, and you want to learn a little more about the asinine serpentine you name it <laughs> I, I like i like byzantine that's a, byzantine. i think my word to describe i think it that's most. the word maybe my brain was searching for but the other two kind of apply as well uh we're going to get into the roster rules and, and the mechanisms uh, this off season and really really touch on a lot of that today uh, in outside in again another brief look at mls cup and then uh the lukewarm news it's not quite hot off the presses anymore uh that carlos heel has beaten honey mukhtar for mls mvp and the final whistle, we are each going to give you our top three soccer activities that you should pursue over the holidays as you wait for more roster news on clubcountryusa.com. So let's get into our early shout. There is a new king of MLS, Tim, and it's the team that you told us all year was the best team in MLS. Yeah, I, I wasn't exactly going out on a limb there. Um, the advanced stats were pretty adamant all year that New York City FC was the best team in MLS and, and for much of the year by a pretty wide margin. Um, they did that despite playing nine other 17 home games outside of their home state. Of course, it was uh, just kind of across the river in, in New Jersey. But nonetheless, they still managed to put up elite numbers while having a pretty difficult situation. Didn't quite compare to how difficult it was for the Canadian teams. But nonetheless, it was not the easiest. Um, the only question was was when process would turn into results because the process was always there. And it, it doesn't always turn into results. You can ask LAFC uh, whether that uh, inevitably comes around, I guess. But um, trust me, I'm, I'm very happy to be made look smart, uh, but it wasn't much of a leap of faith that I had to take. Yeah, and, and I picked Portland, by the way. I thought that the, the home pitch advantage was going to be enough for them. Uh, ball lost. one, feelings ball zero. That's it. Cold, hard, heartless facts one, feelings ball 
for the clean sheet. The New York City team, a group that Nashville beat 3-1 in Music City in a match that really wasn't all that close. And, uh, of course, Nashville shut out NYC in a scoreless road draw. And, and so now when you look back at, at the eight quarter finalists, Nashville played eight matches against um, those teams, a combined four teams that, that they met and ended up making the quarterfinals. In those matches, they allowed just three combined goals, and they were 3-0-5, five clean sheets. Tim, all season long, this Nashville team was at its best when it was playing the best teams. Yeah, it's, it's going to have a bittersweet aura because uh, one point better against the bad teams, um, I think namely Inter-Miami, which got two results against Nashville SC. And the boys in gold may well have gone even deeper into the playoffs. There's obviously value in being tough against the good teams, though. Um, those are the ones that you are going to have to play in the playoffs. Nashville SC obviously um, took down one of them, but was unable to take down Philadelphia Union. So um Nashville, over the course of the year, played a, a different game against the teams that Gary Smith respects than it did against the bad ones, whether I think Smith <laughs> would admit that or not. And I think we pushed him on it, and he didn't quite admit it when we, when we asked him. But yeah. I think the future is, is finding a sweet spot so that you can maximize the results against both of those cohorts, the ones that you think are good and the ones that you uh, suspect are not very good. And I think that can take Nashville to another level. Yeah, you, you go up to New York, to Philadelphia, to New England, and you fight for those tight matches and earn scoreless draws in, in a couple of those. And you go to Cincinnati and like, ah, four, two, three, one, let's open it up. Allow three goals in the first half, score six. Definitely. Well, and, and, and some of it, some of it was even maybe the fact that they didn't play a different type of game against bad teams. I think if they had gone out and said, we will treat inter Miami, like we treat, uh, uh, Cincinnati versus like we treat New England, maybe you aren't losing to one in a game like that because you have a you know a four one lead, which I think we saw this team uh, manage to do later in the year. <laughs> yes, indeed. Uh, so one season ends, and the next day the second season begins, and it really begins earlier than that. The half day trade window on Sunday, the morning after MLS Cup, really more of a formality. Most of those deals were agreed to in advance and, and these clubs knew the direction they were going. And of course, Nashville at that point had already announced its roster decisions. Tim, in your world, this week is uh, is signing week. Signing day is uh, is Wednesday in MLS. It's that half trade day trade window that, that kind of brings that first initial offseason rush of, of news. And boy, was Mike Jacobs busy. Uh, Teal Bunbury comes in from New England, veteran striker coming down from the Revs. Ethan Zubak from LA Galaxy. Nashville also acquired $1 million in GAM, or again, general allocation money by selling four international slots as inflation is really good for the boys in gold, it turns out. And they secured the rights to swap 2023 MLS Super Draft picks with a Charlotte team that you probably wouldn't expect to, to have a, a low pick, probably pretty high pick in that draft just by virtue of expansion history. Uh, out the door, just $150,000 $150, max in GAM if incentives come uh, come through for Teal Bunbury. Uh, the club's first-round draft pick this year went to L.A. for uh, for Zubac. So, Tim, all good business in my view for the boys in gold. What stands out the most to you? Yeah, I think what stands out the most is, is how much value, like you mentioned, Mike Jacobs got for those assets that – uh, yeah, worthless isn't quite the right word, but he wasn't going to use the international slots if they had stayed with Nashville. So they were effectively, um, you know, something that was easily excisable from Nashville's budget there. So the trade with NYCFC is not quite official yet. I think uh, we we don't have to begrudge Ronnie Dyla maybe being a little too hungover on Sunday morning to pick up the phone since his club had just won MLS Cup. But um, I think the fact that a, a league sources indicate tweet from just about everybody on the Nashville SC beat uh, came out at about the same time. I think that tells you exactly how official that almost is. So it's mm-hmm. something that that I think you can uh, be prepared to look out for when the, the window opens back up after the expansion draft. So um, I will say I don't think that's the only other move that we're waiting on. We'll see what happens that period immediately after the expansion draft. Could see another flurry of moves, not just for Nashville, but around the league. I don't know that Dialo was hung over. I think maybe you're just not allowed to make roster moves in your underwear. Yeah, I was going to say, maybe, he's, maybe he got hypothermia by getting naked <laughs> in Portland. It's not the place to, to do that. That's fine. Good for him. He's lost in the in the joy of the moment. Uh, let's, let's talk about the two players who are in the fold now for Nashville SC. We'll give you a few things that you may not know about those players, and then we will wave goodbye to the folks that uh, Nashville SC Seems to be releasing, or in certain cases, surely has now declined options on. First, Teal Bunbury, 31 years old. He's a 12-year league veteran, plays up top, can play wing as well. Spent the last eight years in New England. And very much, Tim, is that high-character, you know, high-floor, potentially decent-ceiling striker 
it reminds you a lot of the CJ Sapong acquisition last mm-hmm. year. And we're not sitting here saying he's going to have the same numbers that Sapong did this season. But when you get a guy who's a proven quantity, he led the Revs in scoring in 2020, 68 career Major League Soccer goals. Um, he's also played 51 times with Jaleel Anibaba. Uh, you certainly would think that Mike Jacobs and this staff is going to guys mm-hmm. and asking them their opinions of players before they trade. Hey, is this guy just a total, you know, you know, just just cancer in the locker room, you know, that kind of stuff. Teal would be the opposite of that. A high character guy with, again, a high floor that you kind of know what you're going to get in that striker depth situation. Yeah, when you when you look at NSC DNA, which is obviously something that uh, we've brought up many times that, that Mike Jacobs and Gary Smith really look for when they build a team, you'd be hard pressed to find a guy that that meets it more than Teal Bunbury. Um, you mentioned Jalil Anibaba having played with him, which is something I did not think about until you mentioned it, and it brought to mind the fact that he also played at Sporting Kansas City with Chance Myers, the the club's chief scout. So the, there's there's a lot of familiarity there. They know this guy. They understand what he's about. Um, and you know the fact that he played with Jalil Anibaba, he's going to remind a lot of people of Jaleel Anibaba as a leader and as kind mm-hmm. of an off-field guy that players around the league just absolutely respect. So you were able to pull out the Chance Myers deep cut, but didn't think about Jaleel. Yeah, That's, well, uh, I didn't think about Chance Myers until you mentioned Jaleel. So. <laughs> there you go. Step ahead of me, even as I thought I was a step ahead of you. Uh, on the <laughs> other end of his career, you could say Ethan Zubak comes in, uh, another uh, forward, 41 career apps for LA Galaxy after coming up through Los Dos. That's the mm-hmm. Galaxy Academy. Uh, he didn't have the 2021 he had hoped. Chicharito missed a decent amount of time, and it looked for a minute like Zubak might be the guy to jump in and, and fill in for Chicho. But he played just 27 minutes after July uh, in three separate appearances, and it seemed like maybe he'd stalled out in Los Angeles and is looking for a new opportunity. Yeah, when you look at guys, uh, maybe guys who have come to Nashville SC from the Galaxy before because the Galaxy wasn't really working out for them, I think it worked out super <laughs> well for Dave Romney, I yeah, would say. say so. Um, Nashville is kind of hoping that Ethan Zubak has the same sort of trajectory. They have a different uh, suite of playing time to offer a young striker than does the Galaxy. They also have a, a system in which he is more similar to the starting striker. He's a lot more like CJ Sapong than he is like Chicharito. It's a like-for-like comparison, so it makes it a little bit easier for him, too. And you know, no conversation of new players is complete without the context of what Nashville gave up. And in that case, the expenses minimal $75,000 in GAM for Teal Bunbury, another potential 75K if he fulfills certain incentives. Ethan Zubak, just a super draft pick. That's it. So Nashville SC giving up very little, especially when you consider that those guys are coming in ostensibly for Abu Dunladi and John Cadiz, a, a designated mm-hmm. player. So Nashville, you know, way, way in, into the cost savings uh, spectrum there. Um, and also trading again those four international slots for a hundred for for a million in game to continue to bolster that war chest. Yeah, and I think the Zubak trade is is going to kind of be the less notable one as people look at it from an outsider's perspective. But when you look at what Nashville SC gave away for him, if you wanted to spend uh, the number twenty one pick in a trade <laughs> and get a guy like Ethan Zubak, that's one thing. If you're picking number twenty one. Uh, in the MLS Super Draft this offseason, you are not finding a player with six pro seasons that no. has the pedigree that he does and probably not one that's as good as he is. Those guys are all top 10 picks if they're coming out of college nowadays. So that's really something that um, it's, it's pretty much a steal, especially for, again, like those international slots, uh, uh, an asset that Mike Jacobs was probably not going to use, at least not in a way that was really going to be meaningful for the 2022 season and the future. Yeah, so again, folks who are maybe a little new to MLS, the MLS Super Draft, uh, not as, don't equate it, don't be like FC Cincinnati, don't equate it to the NFL Draft. This is not, you know, first round pick, surefire starter coming in. Most likely outside of the top 10 to 15 Super Draft picks, you got to really hit on somebody just right for them to be a contributor. They're probably at best going to be loaned out to a, to a USL squad, going to develop. So basically trading that, you know, potential player, for a guy like Zubak, who has that experience, I think it's a no-brainer. So it's an excellent bit of business for uh, for Mike Jacobs, as usual. Uh, let's get into the gold nuggets here. And today we're going to give you three things you probably don't know about Bunbury or Zubak. In other words, if you are a researcher who's gone in and you've looked into the bios of these guys, these are maybe a little bit deeper than, than you've looked. And if not, hey, credit to you. Let us know next week's mailbag. Brag a little bit, and uh, we'll give you that love on air. Uh, first, Teal Bunbury, number one, Tim. He has deep MLS playoff experience. Bunbury has appeared in 17 postseason contests, and that 
is more than any NSC player except for Dax McCarty. And so as you look at this Nashville team that down the stretch was really needing that striker off the bench and needing guys who'd been in playoff circumstances, maybe Bunbury would have been one of the guys to take some PKs and maybe hit one. Yeah, it's, it's an asset that, you know, it's kind of a, an intangible asset that Nashville SC doesn't have a ton of on its roster yet. So having a guy with that same sort of, uh, he, he can have that steely reserve that guys who haven't been in those situations before won't be able to produce from, from within. Intangible asset, does that mean substantive feelings ball? Could be. I don't know. I just, <laughs> were, you, were you just racking your brain real quick for synonyms there? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so number two, he scored five plus goals in seven of his 12 seasons. So again, we talk about him having a relatively high floor. You know, he's probably not going to win the Golden Boot, probably not going to lead Nashville SC in scoring, but he has contributed in a stable and consistent way uh, in New England and elsewhere. And third, this one's fun. He's the first son of a former MLS player to be drafted into the league. Stat Alex played for the Kansas City Wizards after a stellar career in Portugal. Uh, came back uh, to the United States, uh, Canadian, I believe, uh, by origin, but played in the U.S. And uh, yeah, so now Teal following his father's footsteps. And both of them played in Kansas City as part of their careers. Both of them played. Teal Bunbury is only 31 years old, but he also played... For the KC Wiz, he did not only play for Sporting Kansas City. So a guy who's who's only 31 but has that level of experience that he was wearing the ridiculous Wiz uniforms is a, is a guy that that has something that very few people still remaining in the league can boast. Ridiculous, wonderful opinions may vary. Those those two can be consistent with each other, though. Uh, on to Ethan Zubak, number one. He started just six matches for Galaxy in 2021, uh, which is a reduction by nearly double of the number he started in 2020 in the COVID-shortened season. He started 11 times back in, in 2020, so those numbers dropped for him. Um, he participated in a goal every three matches when he was in USL, playing for Los Dos, the Galaxy uh, 2 team in the second tier. That ratio had dropped, though, from one in three to one in just nine uh, matches. Four goal contributions over 36 matches for the senior squad. And so we'll get through those numbers and tell you number three, a little more fun. Um, he was valedictorian of the Galaxy Academy. Uh, there were just 11 graduates, so not a ton graduated that year. But he was admitted to Harvard, chose instead to enroll part-time in UCLA's biology program while beginning his pro career. I want to know who finished number 11 in that class. Look it up, Wes. <laughs> we will get that research for you. That's that's next level hot Tim winter content right there. <laughs> so Tim Nashville got it striker depth, but as we mentioned a minute ago, it, it also brings in a million dollars or will bring in a million dollars in general allocation money. So that is ultimately going to enable Nashville to do any number of things. They could go out and spend uh, you know up to a million dollars trading for players. Again, they got Walker Zimmerman for just over a million. Wouldn't get that deal again, uh, most likely. <laughs> Certainly not from L.A. Uh, they could buy down players' salaries uh, and get them below the salary cap if, if they're between, I believe, what, $500,000 and yeah, $1.5 million? Uh, it's, it changes each year as the salaries increase slightly. It was six twelve this year, uh, between six twelve and a million six twelve. So somewhere in there that you can buy them down to below the DP cutoff. There you go. You can do a few other things with them as well. And we will talk a little more about GAM here in the, in the mailbag in just a minute. But the bottom line is when you have that war chest of money, you have the ability to go out and bring in high level talent or more likely probably to subsidize a number of guys on the roster that you normally wouldn't be able to employ because you'd be above the salary cap. Yeah, I mean, Mike Jacobs is consistently, including when he was the first guest of this very podcast, he calls GAM the most valuable roster building resource in Major League Soccer. Um, take a look at what he does uh, during Hot Tim Winter every year. He definitely believes that general allocation money is the most valuable asset in this league because he goes out and gets as much of it as he can. Um, so you can spend it on intra-league trades, as you mentioned. You can use it to get players who are just a little richer in taste than, than will fit under your salary cap proper um, to buy down their salaries a little bit. You can use it to buy to build a lazy river on parcel 8C at the <laughs> fairgrounds. Who knows? There's a lot you can do with it. How long has the lazy river bit been going on? Is it four years uh, now? Not long enough. Not long enough. That's all I got. Okay. I'll, I'll I think, I think it even pre I think it even predates the USL days, but that was uh that was when I first became acquainted with it, was was immediately <laughs> prior to the first USL season. I mean, we haven't heard from the club that it's not happening. Right, which means it is. Hmm. 
deductive reasoning at its finest. <laughs> um, all right. So out the door for Nashville SC, the club will wave goodbye to to a few players, uh, one of whom was an absolute fixture. And and this has been known for a bit as he posted mm-hmm. it on social media uh, you know, a couple weeks ago now. Matt Lagrasa, stalwart for this club, second in USL minutes, second in all-time minutes, if I'm not mistaken, for this club in, in all uh, competitions. He had, had his option declined and will be uh, looking for for a club elsewhere, and we, you know we'll, we'll list the other guys in a minute. But thought we'd give Matt just a minute, so a little tribute to what he meant for this club on and off the pitch, as he is again one of those links to to the USL days, to a special era uh, early in this club's existence. Yeah, and he's a guy who, um, prior to Nashville moving to MLS, when if you talk to him uh, in honest terms about what he was going to do if he didn't make the MLS club, he said maybe move on from professional soccer. Uh, I think he got a little bit of a rejuvenation by reaching the level that he had always kind of aspired to as he worked up his way through college soccer and then through USL. But um, obviously this is a guy who, who gave his all for four years and in this season specifically, he didn't have nearly the role that he has in the past, um, which is uh, obviously a downside for him. It, it also helps explain uh, why he's not going to be back, unfortunately, but this is a guy that um, anybody who's, who's encountered him on or off the pitch can say nothing but positives about him and I think that's exactly the sort of guy again NSC DNA Matt LaGrasa has embodied it for four years absolutely has and he will have a warm place in the hearts of these supporters and in the front office for for years to come Uh, other guys who had their options declined David Akam no surprise there as he was on loan in Sweden on a high salary figure Uh, Nick Hines a a homegrown player uh, Nashville traded for um, with Seattle essentially just to fill out a roster spot he was a speculative move that if he worked out great he was fine in austin on loan but uh, didn't make the waves that nashville had hoped a couple of draft picks and tom judge and tor saunders and and the other big one oh and, and we'll mention brian meredith as well backup keeper as uh, they like elliot panico coming along it sounds like maybe to be their number two um yonder cadiz there's been some discussion a lot of discussion on this podcast and we are more positive on cadiz than many have been you're particularly high on yonder while understanding that there were moments in which he underachieved, this was a closer call in your book than maybe some fans thought it might have been. Yeah, I think uh, on the basis of, of hashtag Hot Tim Winter uh, criteria, the fact that he was probably available on a cheaper budget hit, the fact that you didn't see the best from him, um, you know, coming in midseason last year, it's something that we're going to talk about um, during the mailbag, those kind of midseason additions. Um, the fact that he played for his country or didn't play for his country during World mm-hmm. Cup qualifying, um, returned from a, a hot spot of a global pandemic and then didn't play for another couple of weeks. Um, read into that what you will, but I think we just didn't get a chance to see the best of what he can provide. And um, that's unfortunate. It's unfortunate that we won't get to see it because he's not going to be back. But, um, you know, that's it's it's uh, show business. It's not show friends. Mm-hmm. So, so sure. it's a business move. Sure. And if this is one of those players that's on a salary, you could buy down below the salary cap with some of that game. Maybe you see him come back, but the opportunity cost of not getting the use out of the DP spot that you hoped you would uh, after the first couple of matches of the season, I think was just too great. Uh, we wish Yonder the absolute best uh, in his future endeavors as he will, uh, I guess, head back to Benfica and, and we'll see what the move is there for him. Likely another loan somewhere or a sale um, you would think uh, there for, uh, for Benfica. Speaking of the DP slots, Smooth segue to embrace consensus. And the question we want to ask today is one that a few of you reached out about uh, as well. Should Nashville fill that third DP slot this offseason, or should they do what they've done the past couple of years? Go into the season with two and evaluate your needs in season and then add somebody. Tim, your thoughts? Uh, I said I was going to be in the mailbag, but it came sooner. Um, well, I think they should wait. Uh, we've seen Nashville make a summer window signing the past two years and, and Cadiz, who you mentioned, and, and Ake Loba this past season. I think that indicates a preference out of, out of the technical staff mm-hmm. to do that. I, that's when the calendar in European and Mexican leagues makes the best talent available without a premium price. Um, South American and some Central American leagues are on a, a calendar year season, so they don't have the same sort of off-season lineup with that middle of the summer for Major League Soccer. But um, I, th- I think I think Mike has wanted and and Gary Smith has wanted to evaluate what the team looks like for about half of the season before seeing, okay, where do we have a need? Where can we fill a need? And then strike when necessary, when that talent is, is maybe at the price that's a little bit more enticing. Here's the moment where I pretend to disagree with you and I make a case for the (laughs) other side, but end up coming back to our usual uh, level of consensus. There are arguments to spring for somebody now. 
um, if you can find a team that is willing to part with the talent, then you can avoid the issue that Nashville has hit the past two years, which is bringing in a player who by all accounts has the talent to contribute, but their growth is stunted early at least because they're trying to work their way into a roster with strong chemistry. They're trying to learn the tactics. And the hardest thing really, I think, is they're trying to earn Gary Smith's trust. He's a guy at that point who, you know, I'm not going to call him, you know, hesitant to, to bring in somebody new he thinks he can contribute, but he he operates in trust more so than, than so many managers out there. And if he has proven quantities, he's going to go with them. So do you really want to have a third season where you're bringing in a player at a, the high cost of a DP who you think might have to wait until that following season to contribute again? Um, maybe those two were isolated cases. Certainly they had their own issues that, that mm-hmm. you could point to in each individual case. However, the big if there is is what you've mentioned. If you can find a team that's willing to part with that talent midseason, if they're getting rid of somebody midseason, either A, they aren't contributing sufficiently at their current spot, so they're you know surplus to requirements, which either means they're not at a level on or off field that you would want, or they're not going to be in, in you know midseason shape, as we saw with, with a guy like Ake Loba, who had to really ramp up his physical activity. Uh, or number two, you're overpaying for them. You're paying so much money to get that person uh, you know, away from a place where they're contributing, and that's not something Nashville's probably going to do. Um, deals aren't made in theory. In theory, it would be great to have somebody integrated into the squad during the offseason. The reality is you're probably not going to find that talent that you want in the midseason, in midseason elsewhere for the price Nashville's going to be willing to pay. I got, I got one more point to support uh, bringing in a guy in at the beginning of the season, and okay. that's this Nashville team finished third in the table, tied for second, in the table with the same sort of situation that we've seen in the past couple of years, bringing in a guy mid season. If you want to go all out from the beginning and, and just kind of empty the chambers and, and say, we're going to spend everything we can to set this team up to succeed from minute one to minute. However, 34 times 90 is <laughs> of the regular <laughs> season. You go for it. Uh, I don't, again, don't think that's what does happen, but I can see an argument for saying, you know, damn the torpedoes. Let's do it all from the beginning. 3060. Oh, well, duh, I should I should have done it in my head. <laughs> You're talking. I can't talk into math at the same time. Uh, I, yeah, I, I see it. I see it, especially when you're going to be opening a new stadium. And granted, it's not going to open until May 1st, but you give that new player, you know, a couple of mm-hmm. months to really get going, get moving. Maybe they're riding a, you know, a three-game goal streak and they come home and if they're riding a three-game goal streak on the road, then this national team's already better than it was this past <laughs> year. Yeah. <laughs> um, there are good cases to be made for it. I will also say, you know, whether or not Nashville brings in a DP, and I would expect them to probably follow the same pattern they have. The the it's it's an I it's an I feel, not an I think or I know, but I would expect them probably to. We'll see how they supplement their talent elsewhere. You know, who are they going to get in the free agency uh, market? Is there is there a signing there that you can use to really supplement an area of need? And in a minute, we'll talk about that area of need that Nashville should address with the DP. But can you get a holdover veteran to step in there in the meantime and, and just see how it goes? You don't want to call it treading water. If you're treading water, you're not you're not going to ultimately not going to swim. You're going to run out of energy. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you can have a successful team without that DP then maybe they do finally come in and put Nashville over the top instead of coming in and, and maybe underperforming relative to, to fans' expectations. To the mailbag now after we have uh, once again shamelessly mostly agreed. Um, Andrew Yarbrough still going on the DP subject. It's almost like we, we sat down and we planned these to kind of match together. Since NSC added depth to the forward position following the departure of Cadiz, speaking, of course, of, of Bunbury and Zubak, how do you all see them utilizing that open DP slot? Is there any benefit or penalty for not using it next season? Hashtag mailbag, hashtag hot Tim winter. Had to include it. Andrew, you use the hashtag. We'd love to see it. <laughs> um, I'm actually, I uh, forgot to answer the second part of the question, but I'll answer that first. There is no penalty for not using your DP slots. Colorado Rapids use only one all year. It's pretty typical, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, in a recent conversation with an MLS uh, technical staff member, he mentioned that most MLS teams do not go through any year, basically, with all three DPs filling uh, those slots all all throughout the year. So it's it's kind of a rarity to see a team um, from minute one to minute 3060, did you say, 3040? Uh, it's, it's very rare to see them filled that whole time. So that's something to keep in mind for sure. Um, in terms of what Nashville could use, I think you have to look at some type of wide player and not necessarily a wide attacking player. Although if you get defensive player, it is going to be a guy with some attacking ability. You just don't use a DP spot on a guy who's 
just going to stand back there and defend for, be- for better or for worse, the MLS roster rules kind of dictate that um, if you want to sell tickets and, and be a good team. But I think you see Hani Mukhtar settling in as, as a second forward who can, who can, also be a, a central attacking midfielder mm-hmm. or a striker. I mean, Ake Loba's most comfortable both as that kind of second forward or as a line leading striker. Um, both of those guys can also play wide, but I think getting a DP quality wide player brings a different dynamic to the team. Obviously, Randall Leal is a DP quality wide player, but he's not on a DP price. So th- that gives you the flexibility to add another one. Um, Gary Smith always mentions that creative players are so important because they can change games in ways that other guys just can't do. And having another one in area of the pitch that's not covered would be a new dimension like i said that could also be a fullback um imagine nsc sticking in a, in the 352343 from last year but with alistair johnson playing inside and, and maybe like julian gressel bringing heat up the wings that Ooh. is something that i think would uh nsc fans would love to see oh my gosh gressel in this <laughs> system would give you chills he would be a guy that would be a statement of intent move as you open a new stadium. That would be that would be a move. I think plan A for this team could very well be 4-2-3-1 formation, Mukhtar mm-hmm. at the 10, Loba on one wing, Leal on the other, Loba kind of being a transitional second striker slash wing player, and then Sapong up top, and we'll see how comfortable Loba is. As you mentioned, he's, you know, he's a little more comfortable probably in that second striker role. Can he double as the wing? Can he give you what you need in terms of tracking yeah. back and, and being stable there? And if that plan A doesn't work out, then maybe you're looking at, at that wing DP. I agree with you, though. That's the pretty glaring spot where you would love to to add somebody who is a natural fit. If you can run a 3-5-2 with a Loba-Sapong duo up top mm-hmm. and and some help behind them, as you've laid out nicely, I think. Listen, I, just, I was just trying to hire a fullback without putting Alistair Johnson on the bench. I don't think this is going <laughs> to be a back three team again. I'll, I'll tell you what, though. <laughs> you got me thinking about Julian Gressel. Um, and he is, I mean, I watched him play I'd in person last year. thinking about him a lot, Atlanta. bro. Yeah, I know. You've mentioned him a couple times, I think, on this show as a guy you'd love to see bring it. He's your veritable uh, Sean Davis. I'm, I'm more of a, you know, uh, bolster this. I'm a big Sean Davis guy, too. You just <laughs> don't get me that, wrong. You've, you've been accurate in saying that he's not going anywhere. Red Bulls are going to resign yeah. him, surely. John Mueller and Clayton Mitchell, both with uh, with questions that, that come together pretty nicely. Is it too soon, he says, to request a statue of General Manager Mike Jacobs to be commissioned outside of Pedal Tavern Field at Jack Daniels Stadium? Well, you just ruined the naming rights agreement. Uh, and Clayton Mitchell, how did Mike Jacobs become the king of MLS roster mechanism utilization? As you've just mentioned in, in the most recent answer, a successful MLS club is not necessarily measured by how it uses its DPs. As you've mentioned, a lot of clubs go without using three. Mm-hmm. Eunice Nomaly was Colorado's only one. He barely played. He's now off the roster, and they finished uh, in first place. Your success is defined by how you maximize the value of the other guys. and. You know, by making smart signings, by utilizing the draft where you can strategically without being a Cincinnati and majoring in it, you're going to raise your floor. You're going to diversify your, diversify your portfolio. You're going to free up cash to spend elsewhere. And for example, Nashville's reliance on domestic players just earned it an extra million dollars in monopoly money that it can use, as we've mentioned, to subsidize a player who is just shy of that DB caliber or more likely to buy down multiple players who'd otherwise be above the cap. They just agreed to a new deal with Dax McCarty, for instance. He's a guy they can keep around in part because they are relying on cheaper domestic players. They're able to then get rid of those international slots and you can you can create a more sustainable roster building model that way, or you can pull off a Walker Zimmerman light and spend a million bucks in one place and and bring somebody in. So the steps to success, according to Gary Mike Jacobs and, and what we've seen him do, number one is amass that general allocation money. Number two, spend it wisely. Number three, you use those DPs to fill the glamour spots up top that you're really going to have to pay for that top global talent. But even then, build depth around them. I mean, imagine Hani Mukhtar, one of Nashville's DPs, without CJ Spong this year. Uh, imagine Walker, who's not a DP, but one of those high-value players, without a Dave Romney, who came much cheaper from uh, from L.A. Imagine Gary Smith without quirky English sayings. You always want to supplement. <laughs> um, and, and it has really created a sustainable model for Nashville that has enabled it to be successful quickly, whereas you think, when you think about a flash-in-the-pan early expansion build that's successful, you're going to think of an Atlanta or, or an LAFC. It's where we say that Nashville's really charted a new path forward by being relatively modest in its spend, but strategically guided, and they've been able to achieve success without going all in on those DPs. I will preface this by saying statues aside, uh, maybe justified (laughs) in the end, 
Mike isn't perfect. And I know, I know he's going to listen to this. So I'm sorry, Mike, you're not perfect, <laughs> but um, if you can look at a couple examples, the club's first U22 initiative player looks like a bust for Nashville SC. It just looks like Rodrigo Pinheiro, at least not as, as quickly as Nashville SC had hoped is, is going to be a contributor. Um, and a couple of the players who came in on budget prices due to past injuries. I think that the two glaring ones are David Akam and Abu Dhanladi. Um, The club took a calculated risk, hoping that they would pay off because they would be healthy. Um, the, the past, Past injuries became present injuries and, and potentially our future injuries as well. So, um, you know, it's not always perfect, but I, you can see the cohesive thought behind some of these ideas. Um, but if you just want to know how Mike got good at what he does, I'm looking no further than one of his mentors, Peter Vermees. He did it for a long time with big budget constraints in a small market at Sporting Kansas City. Talk about clubs that don't use all their DP slots. Yeah. Uh, Sporting Kansas City has historically been one of those. Um, Peter found ways to make the most of the rocks roster mechanisms to find success. And then um, quite frankly, I would say that the, uh, the student has become the master. I think Mike <laughs> is, is as, uh, as Clayton mentioned, I think he's right up there with the best in the league in terms of using every single little piece of, of the rules to your advantage. Yeah. And the minute Mike starts talking about wanting a statue built for himself, he's no longer the Mike Jacobs that we know. Either. <laughs> he will acknowledge that lack of perfection. And he'll also acknowledge that you're never going to hit on hundred percent of your guys, but if you have a pretty good hit rate and what they've done again, they've missed on Miguel Nazari, David Akam. Yeah. Yeah. You could say Yonder Cadiz. Some high-priced guys, right? Mm-hmm. Pinero, who we'll talk about in just a little bit. But when you get the small things right, time after time after time, they become big things, and that's where yeah. Nashville's been able to, to compensate. Yeah, and I think you said it more eloquently than I could have ever dreamed of, which is if you have the base established with all of the small things, you can take swings with the big things, and if they don't work out, it, it doesn't kind of damn you to a horrible season. This isn't, uh, for example, an FC Cincinnati, which does all the little things wrong. And then when they miss on Brenner, as it looks like they probably have at this point, it's catastrophic for them. I think when you do the small things right, even if you do miss on a guy here and there, if you do miss on a guy who um, has chronic injury problems continue, it doesn't suddenly put you as the worst team in Major League Soccer three Mm -hmm. years in a row. Uh, You make the playoffs both of your first two years, even if you have a couple of misses in there. All right, back to GAM utilization. Clayton Mitchell and Trevor Bryant both wanted to know a little bit more about that. Clayton asks how we should expect all the GAM acquired in that half-day trade window to be used. Trevor, Nashville stockpiled GAM last season. How was that used? Presumably Loba, offsetting a comm salary maybe, and any ideas on how that treasure trove of allocation money is going to be spent this year? Yeah, we talked a little bit about it, what GAM is. Um, So... The very basics of it. I have a story. I will link it when I put this story on the front page of clubcountryusa.com. Um, but <clears throat> the the big picture is there's a, essentially a soft salary cap in Major League Soccer. You use GAM to to buy down salaries. It's the same as paying the guys. The guys are if a guy's salary is six hundred twelve thousand five hundred dollars, he gets that amount of money. Um, it's kind of an accounting mechanism within mm-hmm. the league. Um, you can use it to trade. I think the main reason that allocation money exists is so that you can trade it for players because uh, you cannot buy players via like U.S. labor law. It's an issue that you can't really do because uh, Major League Soccer is technically a single entity. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a, there's like reasons for it, but the main thing is you use it. Um, as as essentially money that is that is a, a made up type of money, but it, it does exist in in practical terms. So um, we alluded to it in the early shop, but there are a few different ways it can be used, and I expect Nashville to ultimately use all of them. Mike Jacobs is very proud of, of being able to use all <laughs> of the different roster mechanisms. Mm-hmm. Not only does he do it, he's very proud of being able to do it. But um, we already saw seventy five thousand go out for Teal Bunbury, and as you, as you mentioned, there's a seventy five thousand condition um, if he has certain performance metrics that will also go out to New England Revolution. It's obviously less than 10% of what Nashville SC acquired on the same day. So, um, you know, they're using their money judiciously so far. Um, since we don't know the terms of contract extensions for Brian Anunga, Anibal Godoy, uh, Randall Leal, Dan Lovitz, and as you mentioned, Dax McCarty, all five of those guys got extended contracts. The terms of those contracts are not known um, until the Players Association kind of releases their salaries and get an idea of exactly what those contracts entail. Um, we can safely assume that some of the the allocation money goes to the budget hits of those five guys and more of it will be spread around the roster to guys in similar situations. We know since he is not a designated player, but he makes about a million dollars a year, I believe Walker Zimmerman is, is getting some of that to buy down his salary budget hit. So he does not have to classify as a designated player um, uh, various other places to keep Nashville under the cap as well. Um, there could be a trade on the way too, and, and uh, more importantly, Gam. Unlike targeted allocation money, which is going away soon, it's just a more specific type of allocation money. Don't worry about it. I've talked too much about what (laughs) allocation money is. Um, GAM doesn't expire. 
Um, TAM expired after two years. Um, GAM does not expire. So it can be stockpiled a little bit over multiple years and spread around in future years or a blockbuster trade within the league at some point to acquire a major player. And if you're smart, then it can promote stability within your organization. How often do you see a team in another sport win a title, then all, all, all of a sudden break up because it can't afford those players who all are due mm-hmm. raises. Um, and so they have to trade away guys and they and they drop in class. Whereas Nashville, as we've mentioned, is you know, probably giving some nice cash to Dex McCarty, to Lovitz, to some of those other guys who are getting probably not just extensions, but also raises. Their agents are not good agents if they're not getting a little more cash after the years that, that they've had. And Nashville's able to keep those guys together and use some of that game. It may not be as, as sexy, um, you know, but at the same time, if you're able to maintain what Nashville's done and then add a couple strategic pieces, you're, you're doing something right as you build your yeah. roster. Yeah. Dan Lovitz of, of 2020 balled on a budget. So Dan Lovitz of 2022 could fly. <laughs> there you go. Uh, Sean White, where do we see Bunbury and Zubak fitting into the squad? So we've given you some of their biographical details. Let's, let's talk about where they fit and, and let's, I guess, compare these guys to the players they're essentially replacing, right? So Bunbury and Zubak coming in in place basically of Abu Dunlady. Uh, whose contract expired and uh, we assume will not be picked up by the club and, and extended beyond uh, beyond this year. And Ethan Zubak in for, I guess we'll we'll just say Yonder Kiddies. Uh, those two guys in for, for the two Nashville losers. Uh, Bunbury's sure, a... Uh, what's that? <laughs> no pressure, buddy. <laughs> no pressure at all, of course. Uh, but yeah, Bunbury, if you're if you're looking at him, comparing him to say a Dunlady, he's he's a more proven, dependable quantity. Uh, the club loved Dunlady; they absolutely, you know, really, really liked him, respected him on and off the pitch. But of course, he just had the injury challenges, and, and that led to inconsistency. Dunlady had had better speed. If you're talking tactics, you know, I don't think there's a direct link between Dunlady and Bunbury. But in terms of what they're expected to give. If you want a striker or a wing, you can rely on in late moments. Bunbury is going to be a more dependable answer, you would assume, as long as he's healthy and he's been pretty healthy throughout his career. Um, so he comes in essentially for a Dunlady who you know who just couldn't stay on the field. Uh, Zubak is a gamble. I guess he's a gamble in that he's on he's got mm-hmm. uncertain return, but the investment is is so small that. There's really a cheap, pretty, pretty cheap gamble. Again, he cost that number 21 draft pick in the first round, and his current salary per MLSPA this past year was just $133,000. Uh, that is $900,000 less than Yonder Cadiz. Uh, that's 100k less than Dunlady, just for perspective. So if he emerges, great. If he doesn't, maybe he's a cup player, a depth guy uh, with a good off-field reputation, who's you know a smart guy who certainly has ambition to uh, to grow his career. So. How do they fit? I think Zubak's probably a depth guy. We may not see a whole lot unless he just really emerges, and if so, awesome. Whereas Bunbury is a guy you're going to depend on. Uh, maybe not a la CJ Sapong, but a guy that certainly could carry that weight if uh, if he needed to in a pinch. Yeah, if, if somebody contributes like CJ Sapong did in 2021, I think Nashville's <laughs> feeling pretty good. But um, I, I think the important thing for Zubak is he's an off-budget player for Nashville SC because he's a homegrown. His salary doesn't count ah, against great the catch. cap. He takes and he takes up a spot that essentially doesn't exist unless there's a homegrown there to take it up. Um, as you mentioned earlier, Nick Hines, that was why he was with this team because slots 29 and 30 can only be occupied by homegrown players. Handwala Buana takes up the other one for Nashville, in case anybody is curious. So they do have both of those homegrown slots filled um, because they're both homegrowns and because they're on relatively cheap uh, roster uh, uh, salary, excuse me, on salary numbers. Um, neither of them costs Nashville essentially any money, and they certainly don't count against the salary cap. It's a, a win of a move for the boys in gold. Uh, Pancito asks what the situation is with Rodrigo Pinheiro. Seems like he's not happy here. Can the team just deal him out? Does he need some mate on a regular basis? I'm sure we can provide some. I think he, he seems like a, a prime candidate for for a loan. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, I, I don't think he's a guy who's probably going to thrive and certainly be happy off the pitch sitting again next year. I can't see him elevating his play enough to all of a sudden be a huge factor for this club next year. Now, the question for me is, do you loan him somewhere to develop him in the hopes that he becomes an asset you can use later? Or do you let him return to a place like Uruguay or a comparable league where he might be happier and closer to home, but, but may not improve to the extent that you need for him to be a contributor? Yeah, I think first things first, and I believe we talked about this last week, but finding him a place where he's comfortable and happy is, is going to be pretty important for a guy who had a really rough year in a foreign country. Um, that said, I think he can still develop in the Uruguayan league, but the best value for a loan, again, assuming it's not just about making sure he's comfortable, probably comes elsewhere in South America. 
Argentina, perhaps. I know that the best clubs in Argentina are well above the level of MLS, but some of the mid-table clubs could Mm -hmm. be a place that a guy can still get minutes, even if he's not good enough to get minutes for this Nashville SC team. It's it's close to home. Argentina and Uruguay are are adjacent to each other. Uh, Montevideo and Buenos Aires are across the river plate from each other, or Rio Plata, if we're actually saying in Spanish. So, uh, I mean, he's under contract for another two years, so there is a chance that a better situation this year means he can use his 2023 season to get a redemption story in MLS. And I think that's one that everybody would be really happy to see him have that redemption story um, because he, uh, very, he had a very act two-ish uh, uh, 2021 season. Let's have a little fun with GAM. We know, says Nathan, that GAM can be used for multiple things within a roster, as we've talked about today. But who would you acquire with $1 million in GAM within the league to address a gap in the roster? Tim, let's play around with other people's money. Yeah, so you have to find a guy who is who is worth that amount of money, but not a guy that's like worth way more than that amount of money that a team isn't going to give him up. Like Joao Paulo from Sounders <laughs> is not coming for a million dollars. Be so great. I have I have two names, and one of them is is one that we've already discussed, and that's Julian Gressel. He is mm. probably at this stage with the with the Walker Zimmerman intra league transfer escalation uh the walker zimmerman memorial intra league transfer uh we'll workshop it he is probably worth more than a million dollars at this point um one that i think is is another interesting choice would be keaton parks from nycfc he obviously got hurt late in the year but as a guy who um fills a, a need for nashville c which is depth behind dax mccarty and anibal godoy mm-hmm. maybe a slightly more forward thinking sort of guy then um, the the options that they have there now, including Brian and Nunga, who improved a lot in that regard this year. But another mm-hmm. young guy that you can develop and say, okay, maybe when Dax does retire, we have the opportunity to say we somebody's developed and ready to step up. Um, I would have put Sean Davis in here, but at this stage, at this stage, he is not under contract with New York Red Bulls. We expect him to be re-signed or, or potentially um, it wouldn't take a million dollars to acquire him because he could, right. because he could come as a free agent. Which would be wonderful, and there, I, I didn't put him down because I'd already mentioned him before, and yeah, I, I I feel like it would be a difficult ask for him, as you mentioned, Tim, to to leave, uh, to leave the the banks of the Passaic River at Red Bull Arena. Uh, Keaton Parks is another name I kind of casually mentioned before. We had a similar question a couple weeks ago, but I think for for my answer, I'm going to cheat a little bit and say there's not one player I would acquire. Um, if I had that million, assuming everybody else is bought down and taken care of, and there's just a million sitting out there. Um, I think the club's biggest needs can be addressed through a potential third DP or through Akiloba emerging, maybe on the wing, and through depth acquisitions. I, I don't think you need a player that, that comes at that price tag. I think what you would be better off doing is making two or three deals for projectable depth pieces that, that you've evaluated and maybe you value more than their current employer. So I'm cheating a little bit. Um, there's been inflation in GAM, uh, part of that, again, due to a trade like Walker. Um, but Dax and Anibal came for a combined $750,000. There are a number of reasons why you can't really benchmark those trades as representative necessarily. Anibal considered a, a pretty big overpay at the time, at the time, maybe not now. Dax, Chicago did him a favor by trading him for a lot less just to send him to a place he wanted to go. You combine those two and you talk in 750 k and you start thinking about the kind of value you could potentially get by spending a million dollars on two or three combined players and bringing in players who, who can be at the very least good depth pieces for you. Um, I still think they want to find their Dax and Anibal the future. And Anunga is getting an audition to, to have a role to develop. I love the idea of a Keaton Parks. Of course, I adore the idea of a Sean Davis, who's not quote of the future necessarily. He's a veteran himself, but um, if you can find two or three guys to bring in that really bolster your depth, especially in the heart of midfield, I think that's I think that's the way you go. Nathan with another question. Who are the six Eastern Conference teams you would least like Nashville SC to face next year? So another brief glimpse at the schedule. Nashville will play every Western Conference team twice. They will play eight teams in the East, which means there are six they will miss. I'm I'm gonna go with, with who I want to see and then let the others just be my cast off. So give me quality and storylines. I, I don't necessarily want Nashville to play the eight weakest teams in the East. I want them to play teams with whom can they I have ch- a relationship. Wait, can I change my answer? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm looking down here. You want the cupcakes. Bring him the cupcakes, which, which is obviously, you know, it represents a, another side of the, of the preference spectrum, and I, I respect it. Um, I'll tell you who I want. I want Atlanta, of course. Uh, keep that, that rivalry alive. Same with Cincinnati. Develop something with Charlotte as much as you can in one match next year. 
Uh, the expansion cup against Miami needs to stay. Nashville and Orlando have developed quite a nice back and forth. NYCFC, the Morales-McCarty uh, fight number two, perhaps. Uh, Philadelphia, we already know, is happening, so so we're counting Union, and I would count them anyway as, as a rematch of that playoff loss. And then give me Bob Bradley coming down to Music City. I want Bob Bradley's Toronto team coming down. I want Michael in the starting 11, crucially, uh, in that one. Uh, so those are the eight I want, which by process of elimination means goodbye to Montreal, to my dear friends up there. Columbus, Red Bulls, Chicago Fire, New England, a tough one to miss the cut, and D.C. United. All right. I, I don't want Nashville to miss its rivalry games. I don't want Atlanta to be off the schedule necessarily. I don't want Cincinnati off the schedule. I certainly don't want Cincinnati off the schedule. <laughs> but <laughs> play four times. The, 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 teams, the teams that I want to miss are going to be, I will read them in, in an order that may sound familiar to many of you, uh, and I'm also discounting Philly since we know that game is on the schedule. Uh, New England, New York City FC, New York Red Bulls, DC United, Columbus Crew. Uh, Mont- I'm going to say Montreal Impact. I'm not going to say CF Montreal. That's I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. They don't, don't pay me to say that. Don't do it. But yeah, I avoid the avoid the toughest games. And when you're competing against Western Conference teams, that will help you to compete highly in the table without having to kind of take those six pointers against some of those teams. Rivals and cupcakes. The Nashville SC year the three two. Eastern Conference story. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's go outside in. Uh, there is a new MLS Cup champion, and uh, you know we, we spoke a little about this earlier. But Tim, you called it not only in the previous episode, but also throughout the year. You said this New York City FC team would or could eventually reach its potential, and it picked a good time to do that. Yeah, I mean, like I said at the top, I'm, I will not discourage anyone from telling me I'm smart. I simply love to hear it. Um, But it wasn't exactly a fringe opinion. Um, In any individual game, the better team doesn't always win. Just ask NYC in a lot of their regular season games. They didn't win as many of them as as their quality might have suggested. And and Portland won more of theirs than their quality might have suggested. But when it comes down to it, um, you know, form, form and class come together at the appropriate time sometimes. And uh, the Pigeons got it done. They did indeed. Um, Expansion draft is tonight. It's going to be fun. If you're listening on Tuesday, uh, Charlotte's going to be able to choose five players from uh, almost every MLS team. There are five clubs who will not have a uh, not be eligible to have a player picked. Nashville is one of those. They are exempt because they gave up Brady Scott last year to Austin. Uh, if you have a player taken in the previous expansion draft, you are exempt. So you can watch for fun tonight. You will not have to watch with any kind of worry about losing a boy in gold. The list came out Monday of who is eligible. It is your usual mix of players who didn't contribute and players who are way expensive that are getting dangled out there in clubs saying, please take him off our books, please. Hashtag all of Cincinnati's players. Mm-hmm. Uh, who is the one eligible player that you would pick if you were Charlotte? Yeah, I don't know if he's necessarily number one, but a guy that I think some people are overlooking uh, is Anton Walks from Atlanta United. Um, mm-hmm. He's a guy whose overall numbers look kind of iffy, but he was a defensive force and played a ton of minutes for the five stripes this year. Um, they had been a better team around him. Obviously, they did have some pieces, but they never found a cohesive hole. They were less than the sum of their parts, pretty much from whistle one to whistle uh, 90 times 34 again, <laughs> 30, 60, I think it was. There it is. Um, in, a, in a better team, he could probably blossom into a star and Fortunately for Charlotte FC, they have acquired a number of international slots from Nashville SC. Um, he's English, so he would require one. But, um, you know, with a couple of years uh, in the league, could acquire a green card and not take one up down the road. You are not looking typically in the expansion draft to transform your roster. It is a place where you could go get guys who, you know, are, are dependable, are projectable, or are just depth pieces for you. Um, so you, can, got, you can get club legends like Zarek Valentin and Brandon Vasquez as Nashville SC did. <laughs> Long may they live in gold for 15 minutes, and even that was a technicality. I got two names for you. Number one would be one who could potentially transform you once he is healthy, and that is Anton Tinnerholm, a, a just marauding uh, fullback for NYCFC, unfortunately injured against Nashville SC, missed the rest of the year. It's an Achilles injury, and you hope he can return to the player that he was. Um, before that injury, uh, sometimes that can affect speed for, for the rest of a career, but it's, it's the type of guy to take a flyer on, right? Maybe he's going to come at a, at a decent salary budget. So maybe it's not a way they want to go, but I think he's somebody who can come in and be an exciting addition to a team and attacking fullback. Or here's one Dom Baji. 
He is on the list. He is eligible. Colorado did not protect him. Um, he's a guy who you know is going to come in and be a classy, dependable leader who can place some time up top for you. Great locker room guy. Why not? Why not Dom? Yeah, I, I think I like we, we would write our, our letters of recommendation for him. Yeah, absolutely. Dom, great guy. Didn't work out in Nashville um, just because there was a logjam of bodies this year. But uh, what, what you have just said is giving me some ideas. So say Charlotte doesn't use one of their picks on this guy. I have recently come into $1 million in general allocation money. <laughs> I would be very interested in acquiring Anton Tinnerholm. I know he plays the same position as Dan Lovitz, but as you mentioned, he's a guy who is an incredible attacking player from that left back position. Um, he's, he's If he doesn't uh, return to full health, he's still going to be an effective player for New York City FC next mm-hmm. year or potentially Charlotte, I guess. Um, but he's a guy He's a guy who obviously we're wishing best of health because when he's healthy, he makes this a better league to watch. Oh, man, especially when the Pigeons are at home on those tight dimensions and he just gets up the field, but you can mm-hmm. get up the field and still get back quickly, and he's just pegging in cross after cross. I think FC Cincinnati is still having nightmares. We once again <laughs> use them as a, as a perfect It's a lot of nightmare fuel for FC Cincinnati in that's various true. games. That's right. At this point, they're just dead inside. Uh, and quickly, we all know this. It's been it's a week old now, uh, but it came out after our most recent show. Carlos has indeed played the role of the heel. He wins MVP, distant second. Honey Mukhtar. I know there was a push, and and many folks around here mm-hmm. thought he deserved it, but we were very clear from the outset. Whatever you believe about that, it wasn't going to happen. Heel was crowned in July, essentially, and and that was never going to get overturned. Yeah, and there's there's been a bit of pushback from from dedicated heel voters that say it wasn't decided in July. I don't necessarily think I believe that, to be honest. Um, that was the second most groan-worthy Carlos heel pun in my life. Uh, when Nashville played New England Revolution, I believe it was the game in Nashville, somebody fouled him, and I said, oops, it was you know Anibal Godoy or whoever clipped a Carlos heel and took him down. Uh, so, Wes, I've outpunned you there. There so. you go. That is, And so you have taken the heel turn then. Hey, there we go. Mm, and I've never healed from the wounds inflicted on me by you beating me in that <laughs> fun battle. All right, time for the final whistle. Mercifully, we are each going to give you, on the 12 days of Christmas, if you will, Three soccer things each you should do during the holidays with no Major League Soccer. Tim, what are your three? Well, shout out to this being a little bit late for Hanukkah. Um, I hope all of our listeners had a, a joyous season. But, yes, uh, indeed. My, my three items are, one, give the gift of Boxing Day. Uh, regular listeners know I'm not the biggest Premier League fan. I, I watch it, but it's it's not my league my league is is major league soccer believe it or not for some people who don't think that's (laughs) that's adequate but the spectacle of the boxing day games in the english premier league is is really something else it's not mls decision day but it is a great way to get a new fan into soccer so encourage someone you know who is not yet a fan of soccer to get into the game by by showing them that sort of that that big game feel that big day feel um, number two, give a literal gift of soccer, whether that's a ball, whether that's the FIFA video game or the uh, PES video game. I think they just changed the name of that, but whatever. Something something that's pro-evolution soccer. You've never heard of this? Oh, my goodness. This is the one that had the exclusive license for Juventus a few years ago. Anyway, give somebody that uh, or or, you know, something that's a that's a, a gift that you can put under the tree that represents the sport. Number three is is just stay up to date on the offseason changes, whether that's roster changes, whether that's. Um, you know what what the schedule release is going to be we're expecting it tomorrow or if you are listening to this podcast a day late uh today um um off season doesn't mean no news there's still a no. ton of stuff happening keep up to date with all of it uh i think it looks like wes has a good idea for where you can do that so i'm not going to shout it out here. i'll skip to my number two read club and country <laughs> and and you can get those moves put in context for you as tim's going to do two things for you number one he's going to tell you that news also from a nashville perspective and number two, he's going to explain what the heck these things mean to begin with. Because I think, uh, you know, if you understand your audience, understand that there are diehards in here who could, you know, read off the, the amount of gam left uh, if it were available and, and exactly where to assign it. And there are some who are just learning uh, what gam is. Um, so that's number two for me, but it becomes number one because it's absolutely essential. I think uh, your, your site is a great place to go for that. So is this podcast, I think. Uh, next is to follow every step of that roster calendar. So you mentioned staying up to date. Club Country, the place to do that. Um, 
you know, it, it, it's a way to fall in love with this crazy, weird, weird league, though, to really keep up with every step of the way. So expansion draft is Tuesday night. Free agency and waivers right after that. The the two-step re-entry process after that. Then we get into the super draft where you're gonna if you're gonna follow it, it's probably not from a Nashville SE perspective unless they trade back for some picks that they of guys they like early on. Um, if you watch what other teams are doing and how much they're paying, you get an idea for the relative value uh, of each roster mechanism and the fact that some clubs value a mechanism differently than others do. Again, Cincinnati paid what like the, the cheap cheap gam and took all of Philadelphia's draft <laughs> and <laughs> and it, it didn't work out. Uh, I think you probably know that by now. It's, it's, it's interesting to see how some clubs value um, some mechanisms more than the others. So that's number number two. Number three, I say fall in love with a league that is not a top six European league. So I'll be watching Boxing Day right, right with you, Tim. Arsenal go to Norwich. Should feel good about that road match, I think, hopefully at least. Um, but then watch Argentina. Watch the English Championship. Uh, watch the Sunderland Till I Die two-season documentary and join me in the third tier of England. It's the equivalent to me of visiting a local burger joint down the road that has low health scores, but the tastiest burger you're ever going to have, <laughs> uh, one in every three times, versus McDonald's, where you know exactly what you're going to get. I love the Premier League, uh, even when Arsenal is terrible to my sports-loving soul. But I also really enjoy watching San Lorenzo in front of uh, just a packed you know, group of crazed fans as they're taking on Huracan and their derby right across Buenos Aires. Uh, I'm not going to lie. I'm not an expert in that league. That's the point, right? I want to dive into something new that's not being talked about all the time. Um, so, you know, you don't always know exactly what you're going to get in the Premier League or in the UEFA Champions League draw when they have to redo it a couple hours later. Um, <laughs> but I think, you know, the lower tiers you get into, you can still find some really good soccer and great tradition with a level of unpredictability that is unmatched. And uh, it's part of why I love MLS, but you can go even lower than that and, and have a whole lot of fun. I recommend that you do a little bit of that over the holiday season. That's it. Those are our recommendations. Uh, we're going to have a, a special guest next week uh, that we will bring you as we wind down toward the holiday season, who's going to give you tremendous perspective about what's up next for Nashville SC and some of the decisions that have been made by this club. We will see you, though, next week. We appreciate you, as always. Thanks to Moon Taxi. Thanks to ESPN for the highlights. Please rate, review, and subscribe, by the way. Tell a friend about us. Follow us on Twitter. Give the gift of Club and Country, both the website and the podcast, and give us a nice gift by giving us a, a rating and a review uh, if you are so kind to do so on Apple Podcasts. Thanks to the 440 Sports Network. Tim, any holiday wishes? Yeah, my holiday wishes that I had Googled beforehand that Pro Evolution Soccer is now called eFootball. <laughs> I just can't say that I care. <laughs> we saved the worst for last. All right, have a great week, everybody. <laughs> <laughs>